morning, church. Happy Easter. Yes. I fully expected that. Being our last service, I'm going to tell you, if the 8.30 beats you guys, y'all were in trouble. And so, like, literally, I just had another cup of coffee, and so now you guys are in trouble. Okay? Um, and being the last one, thank you for committing the next four hours of your life here. So, just kidding. You're like, no, seriously, we got lunch. Okay? End it, end it Pastor. Uh, man, it is so good to see you. Happy Easter. Um, welcome to Upstate Church Five Forks. If we haven't met, my name's Dustin. I'm the teaching pastor here. And it's just an honor to join you and for you to join us for Easter this morning. And uh, man, it is such a beautiful day, one, physically outside, but for us to celebrate a God who is not dead. He is alive and we worship and we sing. And it's just an incredible, incredible opportunity for us to gather um, all over the world, really believers gathering together to celebrate this um, and I, I hope that if you are a first-time guest, I hope that you have an awesome experience. We want you to call this place home, and hopefully you have seen already uh, that you feel welcomed, and if you have kids, they're going to have an awesome time. We give them a combination of lollipops and Benadryl, so you're in good hands. Uh, just kidding. You're like, that is horrible. Um, but I hope that they have a great experience, and at the end of the day, you know, obviously we want you to see Jesus. Uh, we are not a perfect church. We're not trying to be the best church in town. We're just a group of people trying to follow Jesus to the best of our ability, and we're thankful for his grace. But through that, I hope that you also see that we're not weird, okay? Maybe I'm weird, but uh, the church is not weird, and we get to celebrate and worship and sing and dig into God's word, uh, scripture this morning. So thank you so much for being here. Um, as a church, we have been walking through for some time now uh, this historical text known as the book of Luke. Luke was a first century physician. He was a doctor. He wasn't a disciple. He wasn't some religious elite guy. He was just the doctor of the day. And he saw some things um, going on with Jesus and he followed it closely. And he decided, you know what? Someone should probably write about all these awesome things. And so what he did being a doctor, as you can imagine, he's really, really detailed. And, um, or at least I hope, he, you know, he is, but if you have a doctor, I hope he's detailed because that, or she is detailed. That'd be like, I'm not really sure what's going on, you know, but, uh, he was detailed and so much. So he went around and he discussed with people and collected accounts of people who knew Jesus, saw Jesus, encountered Jesus directly, indirectly, and decided to compile all of that information from all of these eyewitnesses into what we know as the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke. We see from the very first chapter, Luke actually says that I want to give an orderly account or an accurate account of the things that Jesus has done, who he is. So we've been in this series called Jesus, a life, looking at the life of Jesus. And it's really helped us as a church because honestly, it's really given us a view of the Jesus in the Bible. Because if we're not careful, and you guys know this, okay, I didn't grow up in church, and so I, I know exactly, and I'm a pastor, and so I see some other, the other extremes too. But if we are not careful, what ends up happening is we believe in a Jesus who's not in the Bible. We believe in a Jesus that culture has made up, or religion has made up, or we kind of pick and choose what we like and don't like, and it's kind of the surfacey, whatever Jesus. And so we have to know that what we see in Scripture is backed up historically um, 
and archaeologically throughout time. And so we had to point to that being the real Jesus. And if you think about it, beyond the walls of this church, beyond the beliefs of Christianity, when it's all said and done, that Jesus is the most influential life of all of history. He's the most written about, most discussed, most uh, researched, uh, most, you know, whatever, read about, all these different things more than any other historical figure, political leader throughout all of world history. Jesus is that person. He is the most influential person to have ever lived. But yet, if you think about this, for many of us, who Jesus is, is still really unclear. And here's the problem that for some of us, we have with Jesus is that we, we've been told what we should know about Jesus. Or maybe if you grew up in the South or grew up um, at a church, your pastor and your mom and them and whoever told you some things about Jesus. Maybe you've even read some things about Jesus. Maybe you know some people who go to church and they say they're Christ followers. You have friends and family members who say, my life was changed by Jesus. I've seen Jesus, I've experienced Jesus. But for some of you this morning, you're just not there. You're here and we're celebrating Easter, but yet you're just like, I mean, I'm really struggling with that. And here's my hope and my prayer for every single one of us, whether you're in that boat or not this morning, is that this morning that you and I would actually see Jesus. And here's what I mean, not like he's gonna like float from a cloud somewhere, okay? But I'm saying to see who Jesus is in the Bible and why the resurrection is so important for you and for me. And so if you don't mind, I just want us to go to God in prayer and just ask him just to reveal himself in the moments that we have. So let's pray together. Father, there are so many distractions that so many of us bring to this place this morning. Whether it was the stress of just everything going on this morning, getting the kids dressed, getting the breakfast there and getting everybody fed, getting dressed and getting here. Or maybe it's distractions afterwards. Like, lunch and family and just everything, or maybe it's just life in general. But Father, I pray that right now in the moments that we have, that God, that you would show us who you are. That even amidst all the struggles of life, that in just this moment, that we would not be distracted by what's going on after or what's happened before or what we got going on this week or by our cell phones or anything else, that Father, we could focus in and really see your son, Jesus. So will you show him to us this morning? We allow him to speak to our hearts and open up our minds and our eyes. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Well, um, as we've been walking through the gospel of Luke, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. It'll also be on the screens. But before we get there, there's just a couple things that if you really think about following Jesus, really as I'm having conversations with people and kind of counseling um, as they're, you know, just wrestling with faith or whatever, usually the number one barrier, hang up, kind of speed bump is the resurrection. The very thing that we come together to celebrate, to worship, to learn about, to sing about today is the resurrection. For some of us, it's really easy to believe in a person that, you know, taught some good moral principles. We can, we can get behind the Jesus who said, hey, it's better to give than receive. Um, we need to love others more than we love ourselves. Um, don't kill people, don't steal, don't cheat. I mean, that's easy to believe in kind of this moralistic Jesus. You could take it a step further and even say, it's easy to believe in someone who did good works. 
He went around and he fed people who were needy. He gave to those who were in need. He healed some sickness. He did some miracles. You might even say, I believe in those miracles. He um, allowed blind people to see, people who were paralyzed to walk, all these different things. But when it comes to the resurrection, at least what I have found in counseling, uh, different people as they struggle through faith, it's the number one thing that's like, you know what? That's just kind of crazy. And I don't blame them. Because if you think about it, I don't know about you, I've never seen someone die and three days later come back to life. This isn't like, that's like real life walking dead, okay? Like, have you ever seen that? I haven't. And so I get it. I get it. It's hard to understand. And here's my challenge that I want you to see and I want you to at least be open to the thought of this morning is that maybe we do not uh, believe in the resurrection because it, we haven't personally allowed it to impact our life. Because the truth is, is that while we're gathered here and you're here and I'm thankful for that, is that the resurrection of Jesus hasn't truly impacted your life. That after service today, whether it's this afternoon or going back to work tomorrow and you go to this job that you really don't like, you're bored out of your mind, you wish you got paid more, you go home and your finances are stressful at home, your kids are getting on your last nerve. Can I get amen? Okay, um, whatever it is, maybe you feel empty inside or point, you know, just kind of, you don't have a purpose or you're not fully satisfied in life and you're asking the question, what else beyond this? Maybe it's because you have not, personally allowed the resurrection of Jesus to impact you. And if we're really honest, tomorrow for many of us will just be another day. And the only thing that's different about tomorrow is that we'll have some leftover ham and some deviled eggs, right? Can I get an amen to the deviled eggs? Y'all like deviled eggs? Raise your hand. All right, cool. We got some Christians in here. That's good. I never understood why they call them deviled eggs. You know, like, I just don't get that. Some, I remember some people like, we don't eat deviled eggs. It's the Lord's day, okay? You can't do that. On, and I'm like, no, they should be called the Lord's eggs because those things are a mouthful of goodness. You're probably like, no, they're sick, all right? You're weird. You're like, I'm not going to church if you like deviled eggs, all right? But, um, no. but think about it. Like tomorrow is just another day. And for us to really wrestle with this this morning, that the resurrection isn't just something that happened back then. It's not just an event that impacted them now. But here's, if, if you don't hear anything, and I know I'm a pastor, so I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus. Pastors like to talk. And, and, but here's the thing I want you to hear this morning. And I'm gonna say it several times. The resurrection is personal. The resurrection of Jesus is personal. It should impact you and me. It should impact you as a dad, and as a husband, it should impact you as a mom and as a wife. It should impact you as a teacher, a medical professional, someone who's in the construction engineer uh, or uh, industry, an engineer, an accountant, all, whatever you do, it should impact your life. But unfortunately for many of us, we come and we celebrate on Easter. We're like, that's great. Let's get the photo op. Let's all wear our pastel colors, eat some lunch. And Monday's just another day. But let me challenge you that because the resurrection is personal, it should impact everything about us. And as soon as we leave here, we should see the life of Jesus and his resurrection differently. And so in scripture, what we're gonna look at is really kind of setting up this incredible moment that is post-resurrection. 
Meaning this, Jesus, you've heard this story. Jesus died on the cross. Um, he was brutally tortured after his arrest, was crucified. They took down his lifeless body. They wrapped it in linens. They put it in this grave, kind of like a cave. They rolled this really heavy stoom, <laughs> three services, okay? Tomb, I was gonna say stone and tomb and it is stone, okay? And so they rolled it in front, Roman guards. And you know, I mean, it was Jesus and they knew Something was going on. He had, he, you know, he had a bunch of followers. They didn't want anybody to steal the body. So they had these Roman guards that were there. And three days later, some women go to the grave. You know, it's customary, burn some incense or some herbs or whatever to, with the stench of the body or whatever. Just go check. I mean, some of us do that. If we've lost loved ones, we go to their tomb. And then they get there and the stone is rolled away. And they look inside and all that's left are the linens that Jesus was wrapped in. And so what we see is in this moment, this has happened after this, and two guys, man, they are on their way to a city um, called Emmaus. So let's read together. If you don't have your Bibles, they'll also be on the screen so you can follow along. But this is chapter 24 of Luke, starting in verse 13. It says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. They're talking about the arrest, the crucifixion, the, the burial. The, even at this point, they knew that um, the ladies had gone to the grave and, and it was empty. So they're talking about all these things. And, they, um, and so they were discussing this together and Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Now think about this. Here are these two guys walking to Emmaus. Man, they're just down and out. It says they were standing there looking sad. All hope was lost. When Jesus died and he said it was finished and, and was breathing his last breath and they took him down from the cross and they put him into a grave, it was over. For what the disciples and the followers of Jesus witnessed and what they experienced for approximately three years in the life of Jesus, it's over. Because in their minds, their expectation was for Jesus to come off that, that cross or whatever. And what is happening right here is all of their expectations are lost. So they're walking in sorrow because they expected really a, a conquering Messiah and they got a crucified man. They were really expecting this powerful political guy to come and to overthrow the Roman empire and its oppression. But yet they didn't get a political power. They just got a prophet. We'll see that in a second. They thought this line of Judah who was gonna come and be really powerful came. And instead they got this meek, this mild, almost nomadic lamb who was going to be slain. And so their expectations are down and out. They're walking sadly to this city and Jesus shows up. Now, if I, I'm gonna be honest. If I was Jesus, I would totally mess with them right here. All right, because these two guys are just walking and I would be like, ha ha, you know, or like say something to them. And I don't know, they're not scared. I don't know if Jesus is from far away and, and he's walking and they kind of know, but he shows up. And he says, what is this conversation you're having with each other as you walk? Now, verse 18, pick up with me. 
Uh, one of them named Cleopas, this would totally be me, all right? I don't know if any of y'all are smart, smart Alex in this, but you'll see this. Cleopas says this, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here um, in these days? And Jesus said, what things? Now think about this. This dude is literally saying, bro, do you live like underneath a rock? Like, how do you not know these things? Are you the only person who hasn't heard? Like, you, you're not from around here, are you, buddy? You know? You're like, no, I'm from Pickens, okay? But, um, but anyway, you know, like, he, he, they didn't know. And so he's like, what things are you talking about? And so then he unfolds. Be, these guys begin to unpack the things that they are talking, what Jesus says, what things in this. And they said to, to him this, verses, um, the later part of 19, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers, that's the religious elite of the days, delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now get this, verse 21. But we had hoped, shows that they are, they are just down and out. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Essentially, he's saying, it's been three days. He's dead, dead. It's over. It is finished. And so they say that all their hope is lost. It's been three days. He says, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. And they were at the tomb early in the morning. They went and they did not find his body. They came back saying that what they had seen, uh, that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were um, with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So then this is what Jesus says to them. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Man, I don't know about you. I read that slow of heart to believe. And that just kind of hits me. Because I don't know about you, but there's times in my life that I'm slow of heart to believe. There's things that I can struggle with. And I'm sure you're in that boat, just being real and being humans. It's hard to believe that maybe the resurrection is that for you. He says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning him. So we have this great moment. These two guys are walking. Jesus shows up. And here's what I want to do with this, this passage, and we're going to read a, few, a little bit more, that really solidifies why the resurrection is personal and solidifies the identity of Jesus. The first one being, Jesus is our Savior. Now, I know that sounds really churchy. You're supposed to hear that, right? Like Savior, what is he saving us from? Man, I'll be honest and frank, he's saving us from hell. Our sin separates us from a holy, perfect God. And because of that, we need Jesus. So he is our savior in that way. He saves us from that condemnation, from um, eternity in hell. You look at this moment and these two guys in their dismay and hope being lost. It's almost as if they forgot who Jesus was. It's almost as if in one moment, they're like, Jesus is everything. He is our savior. He's the Messiah. He is the one who's going to redeem. And what they've witnessed and what they are now talking about, they start using past tense. We had hoped this was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
It's no longer he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. They say he was Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. It's over. But yet what we see is Jesus is right by their side. They do not know it, but that he is the Savior. He is who he said he is. And he begins to walk and unpack with these two guys what the scriptures say about Jesus. Now this, I'm just saying, I know I'm supposed to say this because I'm a pastor and we're in church. This is where, once again, it is proven that the Bible is so important for us to know God. For us to truly understand and to see who God is, we have to read scripture. You can't just read a book about Jesus or hear something that you see on TV or you read something on Google or YouTube because everything on the internet is true, you know. You can't just do that and believe that's who Jesus is. You have to go to the text that has withstood time, that has historical text and archaeological evidence to prove that it has happened whether you believe it or not. It has happened. And so he begins, Jesus walking with them says, hey, you foolish ones, slow in heart. Let me unpack a few things. He says, the prophets have spoken, meaning that there are these people named prophets that we see in the Old Testament, prophets like Isaiah, who hundred years before Jesus proclaimed things and said things that actually came true when Jesus was born, when Jesus lived, and now when Jesus died and rose again. And so in this moment, he's unpacking, hey, people like the prophet Isaiah. Remember when Isaiah said there was gonna be a suffering servant? It's fulfilled in Jesus. Hey, remember when they said that there would be this Messiah who's gonna be born of a virgin in a small town of Nazareth? Okay, you said that 700 years prior, it's come true. So we say all these things and then Jesus takes it a step further and the entire rest of the walk, he is unpacking the story from Moses to the prophets. He's saying everything in this. Now remember, at this time, they didn't have the New Testament, but they had the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus is pointing to everything and saying, all of that is concerning me. And I don't know, I was reminded of that because I, I think we are all guilty in some way of making us the main character of this book right here. When Jesus is the main character, everything was pointing to him. Everything concerned him as Savior. And so Jesus in this moment is, hey, the resurrection is personal because I'm saving people. My, my body that was broken and my blood that was shed is saving and forgiving sins. If not, I was just a man who died on the cross, a, a, a gruesome death on a, uh, on a cross and was crucified. But it was personal. So Jesus is our savior. The second thing that we see in this is Jesus is our life. Jesus is our life. Now, these guys, they don't know who Jesus is fully. Their eyes are still um, closed in that sense, but yet they know about him. They're, they're talking about it. And I think for many of us, we know who Jesus is. We have the information right here. Maybe we grew up and we went to VBS or grandma told us or whatever. Maybe we've been burned by religion. I get that. There are so many people at this church. They have so much baggage growing up in church, whatever. And I hate that. But we have these preconceived notions of who Jesus is based on those experiences or based on outside sources. And these guys were saying that they had the head knowledge, but they didn't really know, no. Their eyes and their hearts weren't really opened. And we get to this point in the passage, I love this, where it really shows um, the, how the resurrection is personal. Read this with me. Verse 28, we pick up in the story. 
All right, so Jesus walked back in the town, verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if they were going a little bit further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. And they're saying, hey, it's dark. You can't really travel that much further. Why don't you just stay with us? And so he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table, remember, it's personal. The resurrection is personal. When he was at the table with them. I don't know about you, but I'm very personal when people, when we're having dinner together, Right? That's something personal. You don't just invite strangers to your house and be like, hey, come eat dinner, all right? I'm cooking burgers, right? It's people that you know and that you care for and that you love. And so they invite him and he's with the table, at the table with them. And it says this, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Say that with me, recognized him. Recognized him. They recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. Now, why did Jesus have to do that? It's like he just ate and ran. He broke the bread and ran. I'm like, come on, man. I want to talk to you for a little bit. But get the beauty of this picture. They're sitting around the table. Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it and gives it to them. And it says that they recognize him. Now, let me remind you, just a few days before Jesus was arrested, Jesus was sitting around the table with his disciples. What we know is the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. He institutes what we know as communion. Jesus takes some bread. He breaks it. And he says, this is my body that was broken for who? You. He breaks it and he shares it amongst his disciples. And he says, hey, I'm about to suffer a lot of things. I'm actually about to die. Then he takes the red wine. And he says, this is my, my blood that was shed for you. Passes it around. Very personal wasn't just for them, wasn't just for the, these people, these really, really bad people. He said, it's for you. And I really do believe that in this moment, these two guys, you want to know why their eyes were open? Because they really recognized who Jesus was because of what he had done. We will never, ever, ever appreciate the resurrection until we really can understand what God did for you and me on the cross. It is not about what you and I can do for him. We'll never measure up. It's about what he has done for you and me. And in this moment, as Jesus breaks that bread, I really do believe that these two men are like, wow, that's personal to me. His body was broken for me. And in that moment, Jesus was their life. You remember in John chapter 6, Jesus has this incredible moment where he tells the people, he says, I am the bread of life. That whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying, I'm the giver of life. I'm not just savior. This is the point where the resurrection is so important because salvation comes dying on the cross. Absolutely. But he doesn't just forgive you of your sins. He wants to give you life. John 10, 10 says, I have come so that you can have life and have it to the full. Some translations say you can have it abundantly. So I'm just gonna challenge you. I'm gonna step on your toes a little bit this Easter Sunday. Maybe the reason that you're miserable, that you're not fully satisfied, that you can't find purpose in your life is because you don't have Jesus. He isn't your life. You you see him as savior. You're thankful that he saved you of your sins, but you haven't really surrendered your life to him so he can give you life. 
There's a reason that Paul talks about in Corinthians where he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you freedom and joy from all the things that this world tries to, to, to enslave us to. He wants to give you those things because the resurrection is personal. He died for you and he rose again for you. If he just died, he, like I said, he's just another man who was crucified on the cross. And here's what I love about this. I think so many times in our culture, and I, 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 you know, I think we can all buy into this in some sorts. We've heard the saying that believing, or I'm sorry, seeing is believing. You've heard that? Seeing is believing. And I can't help but think, what if when it comes to following Jesus, it's actually believing that leads to seeing? And I think so often because we don't believe, we miss out on seeing incredible opportunities that God has placed in your heart. But guess what? You just diminish it. That's not God. You know, that's because of this or because of that. You doubt. And I really do believe that these guys in this moment, it was their belief that allowed them to see. They recognized who Jesus was because of what Jesus had done for them. It was personal so that he could give us life. And just lastly, we see not only is Jesus our savior and Jesus is our life, but we see that he can give us life. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Amen. He, he's, not, he's not dead. He's walking. He's right here. So much so that this is what I love in the last two or three verses. So after their eyes are open and they recognize Jesus and he vanishes, they say in verse 32, they said, didn't our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us? God was doing something. And they rose that same hour. They returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered saying, the Lord has risen indeed and appeared to Simon. They're like, it's true. What the women were talking about, it wasn't just emotional. It wasn't just them believe, trying to make believe. It happened. Jesus just came to us. We saw it for ourselves. It is true. He has risen indeed. It's like this, gl this, um, this glimmer of hope that begins to birth out of these men. They were like, we saw it for ourselves. He was talking to us. We didn't even know it was Jesus. Then our eyes were, uh, were opened and we see his body that was broken. And now we see this and they're, sh they're sharing this. And it says in verse 35, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So as they rendezvous back with the disciples and they're proclaiming the truth of Jesus. Now listen, this is what I love. This is why the resurrection is personal. Jesus coming back to life, I'm just gonna be quite frank. If I was Jesus and you had all these naysayers who were, who were beating me, didn't think I was telling the truth, I would find the highest building, the highest mountain, and I would climb on top and be like, ha ha, suckers. I'm alive. I was telling the truth. I am alive. But this is what I love about Jesus. Man, it show, so shows his character. Jesus didn't do that. Like I envision, if it's me, I'm having like a Lion King moment. It's like, ah, Zapanga, you know? And I'm telling everybody, I'm alive. But this is what Jesus did. Because the resurrection was personal, he went to that, that lady. He said, hey, I'm not the gardener. I'm Jesus, I'm alive. He went to Thomas, 
Doubting Thomas, how would you like that to be your name for all of history? Doubting Thomas, and he said, look, you don't believe me? We're one-on-one, look for yourself. Look at the wounds in my hands and in my feet. Look at my side, touch it. He went to these men on the road, one by one. He went to the disciples who were afraid that said, they killed Jesus, they're about to kill us. We're locked in this room. Jesus showed up. And then he went for approximately 40 days. Jesus went one by one personally to encounter and to show himself to what we have on record, 500 eyewitnesses. 500 people, one, 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 one to make it personal for the resurrection to come to life. When people said, I do not believe it. That's his talk. Jesus said, look at me. I'm right here. I'm walking with you. I did this for you. It wasn't just some mass moment. Hey, come to church on Easter and I'll show myself to you. Man, he went and he showed himself to over 500 people. And I'm just here to tell you, not that this will happen, at least I hope not. If I was in court for some type of crime and 500 people came to court and said, we saw Dustin do it, I would be convicted. I would be found guilty because there's a lot of credibility of that. It wasn't just some story long ago. 500 people saw and laid eyes on Jesus. They saw him because the resurrection was personal. So just in closing, here's my challenge to you. Is the resurrection personal to you? Has it impacted your life in such, in such a way that tomorrow will not be different? It won't just be like, got my little church checkoff list. That's what you're supposed to do. See you next Christmas or next Easter. It is a, hey, I haven't recognized this ever. And I want Jesus to be a part of my everyday life because the truth is this, the resurrection of Jesus is the most hope providing event in all of history. It provides you hope. So through the pain of whatever you're going through, depression, the hurt, the sadness, the doubt, Jesus wants to meet you right where you are. And he wants to say, look at me. I did all this for you. I died for you, conquered death for you so that you could spend eternity in heaven. And beyond that, that life on this earth can be one that is full of joy and grace and peace. And if you're here this morning, and you're struggling with that, man, I would love to pray with you. And as the band will close with this last song, you might just wanna use this as a time just to call out to God. You know it, you're like the, 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 these two guys say, my heart's burning inside. That's the spirit speaking to you. Do not run away from that. Lean in and say, God, what are you saying? And give it to God this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that the resurrection is personal. It wasn't something that just happened many, many years ago that impacted a few people, but it impacted all of history. It even impacted us. When we believe we're not worthy of it, when we doubt, when we're hurting, when someone has caused pain in our life, when we even struggle with disbelief. Father, I pray that this morning for each of us, that the resurrection of your son, Jesus, coming back, being our savior, giving us life and being alive will impact us starting now. And for the the person that's here this morning, that's never really given their life to you, Father, I pray that today is the day. 
What an incredible moment on Easter Sunday, 2022, for them to lean in and say, I want that forgiveness. I want that grace. I want life. I want hope. And God, so as we close in song, let the words of our mouth not just be words, but let it really be the condition of our heart that you are alive. You conquered the grave so that we can have a relationship with you and have hope on this earth. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Hey, let's stand, let's close together and celebrate uh, alive and risen savior.